Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval, terms apply. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. to the $100 MBA show where you get better at business every single day with our daily 10-minute business lessons for the real world. I'm your host, your coach, your teacher, Omar Zenhome. I'm also the co-founder of Webinar Ninja, an independent software company I started with my co-founder back in 2014. And today's episode is a special episode, an extended interview with Nathan Barry, the founder of ConvertKit. Nathan and I are old friends that came up together in business, starting and growing in our entrepreneurial journey at the same time. I was lucky enough to sit down with Nathan to learn how he grew one of the most popular email marketing softwares out there. Totally bootstrapped. No funding, no investors, nothing. ConvertKit does well over $34 million in annual revenue and has become one of the shining examples of how you can self-fund a successful software company. But he started at zero and, in fact, struggled at first. I sat down with Nathan to find out how he got out of the trough of sorrow, not getting enough traction at the start. Got some insights on how he makes his decisions and how he balances this huge business with his family life, personal life, and ambitions. This one's special. You're going to want to stick around. Let's get into it. Let's get down to business. Today's extended interview is with Nathan Barry, the founder of ConvertKit over at ConvertKit.com. Whenever I have the chance to sit down with an entrepreneur and do this type of episode, the extended interviews, I'm always thinking about what are some of the things that our audience at The $100 MBA want to know from this expert? How can I pull out the gems? One of the challenges of pulling out these gems is having the guest open up. But that was a piece of cake with Nathan Barry for two reasons. Number one, we're old friends. We've known each other for over a decade. We've supported each other's businesses for a very long time. ConvertKit uh, integrates with our software, Webinar Ninja, and vice versa. We're big fans of their software. We use ConvertKit at the $100 MBA and Webinar Ninja. We've seen each other at conferences. We've spent time together. So that makes it so much easier to have a candid conversation. But the second reason is Nathan has been transparent about his entrepreneurial journey for a very long time. He shares his numbers publicly. He shares his journey very openly on Twitter. And by the way, he shares the wins and the losses. And today he shares how he bootstrapped his software company, ConvertKit, with zero funding to $34 million in ARR, annual recurring revenue. We're going to jump into the conversation right now with Nathan Barry, but I'll be back to wrap up the episode, give my takeaways. But for now, let's jump into that convo with the founder of ConvertKit, Nathan Barry. Nathan Barry, it's been way, way, way too long. We were just talking about 
when we first met in person back in 2014, it was New Media Expo. I don't think that conference exists anymore. It was in Vegas. I don't think it does. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember uh, us having like weird breakfasts at two o'clock in the morning. First of all, just so everybody knows, this is like pre-Webinar Ninja I think you just started working on ConvertKit back then. This the is January very early days. Very yeah. early days. We are still kind of putting together some money and having a life. We're all staying in flea bag hotels on Fremont Street. You know, we're all kind of just like, you know, we're in cargo jeans and trying to figure out what what what, what to do exactly. with our lives. Right. So this is early days. And the funny thing about that conference, tell me if I'm wrong, Nathan. There were so many people there that right now are absolute rock stars. Like we were all starting out at the same time. You know, if I look at uh, Corbett Barr and Chase Reeves and, you know, Mike Vardy, uh, yourself, John Lee Doom, is there so many people yep. that were at that event. And I want to ask you this question just to kick off before we go into like who you are and all that kind of stuff. Like for me, that event was a huge pivotal shift for me to kind of see people are doing things that I want to do this is possible. I can do this, you know? And I want to ask you, did that event have any influence on you and your future? Well, I remember as you're talking about, it, I was thinking, thinking about Tim Ferriss talking about like South by Southwest in like mm-hmm. 2007, 2008. And, you know, I was like, you know, you talked about like that feeling of the group and how something went and everybody was there. And what was, as you were talking about it, like, I feel the same way about like, a bunch of events at that time, new media expo, uh, Chris Gillibo's world domination summit, mm-hmm. um, was like that, you know, it was interesting. It's not that you're meeting all these people who are like already famous. It's that I think as the community came together, everyone built each other up. Like I remember at, at Chris Gillibo's world domination summit, the first year I went, I knew no one. Right. And so I'm like, I'm going to go, I, and I'm pretty introverted. And so I'm like, ah, I got to like introduce myself. And okay, here we go. So I walked up to these like two tall, bald men who were standing like across from registration talking to each other. And I'm like, hey, I'm I'm Nathan. And one guy goes, oh, hey, I'm Caleb Logic. And the other guy goes, I'm James Clear. Nice to meet you. Oh, um, and like at the time, <laughs> they, they hadn't built anything, you know? And like, oh, uh, obviously Caleb's built this amazing video company and doesn't work for it so many incredible creators and, and James has gone on to like dominate the New York times bestseller list. (laughs) But I I think it's less that like, Oh, you happen to meet those people. It's that, I don't know. It's like we built a community where everyone built each other up and we're successful because of it. And so, you know, it's not like that one event was like a turning point. It's that, I don't know. You just like, by going to these events, you surrounded yourself with people who were, uh, trying to make something on the internet and yeah. ended up becoming like the entire next generation of creators, which I is think just so. wild to think about. Yeah. And and I, I agree with you. It's just like, we all kind of are in the right mindset. We're like, I got to meet some people. I got to figure out like, how do I fit in this world? What yeah. can, what value can I add to everybody else? Um, you know, I, I, I look at, you know, some of the write-ups that we get mentioned on whatever it's webinar intro or the hundred MBA show. And like, I'm included. I'm sharing pixels with people like these people are like my heroes. Like, why am I on this list? Right. (laughs) And I realized along the way, you know, I did some work probably, you know, and I (laughs) just, just, just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but I think what you said is right. I think we all helped each other out, whether it's just admiring each other's work, supporting it, 
Um, even just feedback, even if it's just, I'm not even talking about like, Hey, I'll be your your affiliate. No, it was more like just, you know, um, you know, sharing best practices, mentioning on your podcast, I use this product or I, I, I signed up for this course, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I just wanted to kind of, that's kind of when we met and that's kind of when we kind of got to know each other a little bit and we've been in touch ever since. Um, but I want to go back a little bit further. And I ask this question a lot when I speak to people here on the show. Um, what was Nathan's life growing up? Like, what was that house like? You grew up in in, in Boise or in Idaho? Yeah, in the mountains outside of Boise. Uh, right. And I know that you... minutes out of town, yeah. Yeah, and I know you mentioned that you, you didn't grow up with a silver spoon. Um, and uh, And one of the things I resonate with you is... I can't, I'm still that person. I'm still the person that grew up in that, you know, for me, it was an immigrant family where money was tight, where you don't, you take advantage of every opportunity it gives you. Like one of the challenges I have is I have to learn to say no. And uh, that's not in the vocab of, of immigrants. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If someone comes through with an opportunity, you're like, oh, thank you for thinking of me. Like, yes, absolutely. Exactly. And then at some point you're like, wait, no, I have way too many opportunities. I, I need to be really selective. I need to like double down on the things that have leverage rather than just taking whatever comes my way. Exactly. Um, so tell me a little bit about like, how did you grow up? Um, what was like your life like as a teenager and how did that inform your life as an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, so I am the fourth of six kids. So I grew wow. up in a big family. Um, we lived uh, about 45 minutes outside of Boise up in the mountains and I was born in this tiny little house, like before tiny houses were cool, you know, like it was just, <laughs> it was just, a house. House. <laughs> it, it was just a very small house. It was not Instagrammable. Um, and, uh, you know, it was like the downsides of a tiny house. I'm recording this podcast in a tiny house office that I built myself because I want to have a tiny house office. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, uh, we grew up when just the limitation was money and, and, uh, you know, at a very small house, but a couple of things were defining about my childhood. One is that my dad, when I was born, my parents bought the land. Um, mm. They wanted to build, you know, our family home on. And then my dad built that home himself. So there, there, uh, I grew up in this environment, like this construction zone where things were are always uh, in progress. A week after I was born, my dad poured the foundation for the house. Uh, a year later, we moved in because he's working on this like with his job and working on the side and all of that. Uh, When we moved in, there was, um, it didn't yet have running water. Uh, Like it had uh, walls up and from the outside it looked done and that it was weather tight, but it didn't have insulation. It Mm -hmm. didn't have, you know, power running water. Like the power was an extension cord running in and I have a bunch of photos of it. Um, My parents said I used to go around with a measuring, like as a, a two-year-old with a measuring tape and say, like, hold it up to things and say feet and half, you know, and like, <laughs> uh, or like pound nails in the floor or things like that, right. uh, which was fine because the floor was plywood. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, 
LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusion supply. So one thing on that, like I always got to watch my parents um, work with their hands and and like continually make life better. And I don't, mm. like it took me a long time to notice that like things were really scarce. Uh, the other thing is that we were homeschooled. And so uh, that ended up becoming really important later on when I, well, a couple things like the pace of learning is something I care about a lot. Mm. And I remember a time being 12 years old, probably, probably 11 and it's snowing outside. It's just mm. like the most beautiful snowflakes you could imagine, you know, and like the snow is building up and you're just like, oh, fresh snow, sledding. Like, I want to be out there, not in right. here with my algebra. Or I don't, I don't know if I was doing algebra at 11. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> like, um, and my mom just said, you know, school doesn't have to take a certain amount of time. Like, it's a certain amount of work. Right. And you don't have to be here for four hours. You can, like, finish your math lessons, finish these other two things, and, like, go play. And that was a huge thing for me because I was like, oh, this is within my control. And I've always been someone where when you put it within my control, like I'm going to make it happen. Hmm. And so that, you know, I I think like you've never probably, probably never seen another, like that motivated of a 11 year old before (laughs) of like, get get all this done, you know, and an hour later, like a whole days where the school is done and I'm out there sledding, like having the time of my life. Um, so that was one example. Another one is, you know, I had older siblings and I always try to keep up with them. And so a lot of my friends were older than me. Um, and that just didn't really matter. Like my siblings were, and, and their friends were super inclusive with me. And, and so I just, I, you know, yeah. I, I was like 13 hanging out with a bunch of like 16 and 17 years. Yeah. Um, and then there was a moment where I realized like, wait, they're all finishing up high school and they're going to go to college. And this age gap that didn't seem to matter, like is about to really matter. Right. And so I went to my parents and said, like, like, what, what can I do about this? And also is high school, like, is it four years or is it a set amount of work? And they went, you know, just like with the sledding example, it's a set amount of work. We've defined the curriculum for your older siblings who have, you know, are going through or have finished high school. Uh, like you can graduate whenever all of this is done, you know, (laughs) like, um, and so I remember thinking we do these road trips from Boise to Seattle, which is like an eight or eight and a half hour drive. And I remember thinking like, I'm really bored on these drives. Right. I'm also really bored when I'm doing algebra. So like, why not combine those two? Well, I have two boarding boring times yeah <laughs> maybe yeah, you yeah. combine it it's, it's one um i like my older brother who's six years older than me you know was sitting next to me on the, the road trip and so like whenever i got stuck on a math lesson i could get his help mm. and uh uh you know i'd do like a month's worth of of math lessons on this drive over because i can just just churn through it wow and so the end result is that i graduated high school when i was 15 um right and went off to college. Uh, I spent two years um, 
first in, in art and graphic design and then marketing. Mm. Uh, I learned to code during that time. And then I was there to, uh, to learn how to make money. And so I started getting web design clients. And when I got my first $10,000 web design gig to build this, this, uh, like software app, um, I decided to drop out. I was like, I'm here to learn how to make money. I, I made money. Check that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have checked that box. Like I'm out. So I ended up, uh, dropping out of college at 17, mm. uh, with half a degree. So that was kind of like the defining elements of, I, like, I just always, I don't know, colored outside the lines or like yeah. whatever constraints people put on me. I'm like, okay, but what if it was different? And I very thankfully had parents who always showed off that creator mindset and, um, and then like, let me, whenever they'd see those inklings, they'd be like, yeah, run with it. Sure. If you want to do, you know, wow. a month's worth of math lessons on do a drive it. to Knock Seattle right yeah. now. Like- <laughs> so what, what I'm, what I want to highlight is a few things. The first thing is you grew up around a family, your dad building a house. Um, mm-hmm. He was a creator. He created this house, right? Yep. But the one thing is that you learned that if you want to create anything, it takes time, right? It's going to take a bit of sacrifice and work and it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be, you know, half finished for most of the time. Um, and that is really a business, you know, like that's a business right there is I just described a business. Most of us don't have the beautiful house in our head or beautiful business in our head ever. Like it just never gets there. You're just constantly trying to make the business run and get better and improve and some people um, understand this because they have these references like you growing up and some of them don't and they struggle and they think that what's wrong with me? I'm a loser. Like, no, you're not a loser. It's just how it is, right? The other thing I want to highlight is, you know, my sister, she has three kids. Uh, two of them were went to traditional schools, public schools, and the other uh, child, my, my niece, she was homeschooled. And homeschooled children, in my opinion, are far more autonomous they, they question things yeah. a lot more. They understand what the end game is. Like you got to college and you're like, oh, I'm here to learn how to make money. And that came from, well, the end game of, you know, uh, passing this grade is finishing this work or learning this curriculum. Like you just fast forward, right? And most people that are in regular school or public school, I grew up in public schools, it's like, you just think you have to go to school. You don't understand why you're there in the first place. Like you get, you're supposed to learn, but you're not, you don't like have the understanding. Okay. It's seventh grade now, seventh grade. It's all about mastering geometry and this and this and this, uh, you have passed seventh grade. Once you know this stuff, no, we thought you passed seventh grade when it's June. Right. Right. Which is job mentality. Right. Where you're just burning time. Right. And I feel like that really helped you. It may be in a subconscious way to understand that, like, you know, the marketplace is all about what you produce and same thing with homeschooling. So I, I really think, um, uh, you want to maybe send uh, another gift to your parents for, uh, for these opportunities. <laughs> they, they probably had their own reasons why they homeschooled you, but um, yeah. these are some great benefits that I think they were great. So when you were in university, you got your first gig as a designer to design a website. Uh, was that the first moment where you realized, Oh, maybe I can do this entrepreneurial thing. No, I had a bunch of, uh, entrepreneurial ventures. The first one is we had a little wood shop and I like to build things in it. And so I'd make these like wood carvings and stuff mm. like that and then sell them around the neighborhood. Um, 
like door to door or uh there was a small like craft fair in our i say neighborhood you know like the whole the big there's maybe 200 houses in like this big community like mountain community and i remember they had a craft fair at one point um and so i had a little booth there and then i do some other you know other bigger things in in boise and and all of that um you know like art in the park type mm, yeah. uh, type thing so that that was the first um first venture uh in that way we had a pet sitting business right um you know like hey for ten dollars a day well <laughs> you're gone we'll it's a steal and, <laughs> i thought i thought it was amazing money like yeah. i thought we were printing i couldn't believe that someone was going to go on vacation for you know a week and pay us like a hundred bucks or more to like come feed their cats <laughs> you know i thought that was amazing yeah um but yeah so we had that that kind of thing um but then i think when i was 15 mm-hmm. uh kind of around that time period i got into web design uh got a copy of photoshop for my birthday photoshop right. elements for my birthday the cheaper version um mm. and then you know started doing logo design for people that first logo was 75 dollars. that first website was 300 bucks why is it um, 75 bucks my first logo was 75 bucks too why is that the number really? <laughs> <laughs> it's, not it's not 100 it's not 100 right i don't know um but yeah like you know people didn't know how to do things on the Mm -hmm. web and so it's like oh i know how i I know how to code and i can teach you these things and it's just like gradually ramped up from there i was actually talking to someone the other day um i ran into him again he was like a financial planner and all of that and i met him he was reminding me of this because i met him when i joined the chamber of commerce I was 17, 17 into 18. And I joined the chamber of commerce and like started to go to those events and joined like a leads group where they would, yeah. you know, you get the business like cards. Web design. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, and all of that. And I was just, I always appreciated this guy. Cause he, you know, here you have like a 17, 18 year old, like just showing up, trying to figure out like business. And he was just always so helpful about like, Oh, you should talk to this person. Here's why. Or like, you know, and all of that. And, and it was fun to connect with him again. But yeah, I, I did that whole thing of trying to build a, like a freelance web design business for, yeah. uh, for years. And, and I mean, it worked out like, yeah, I, I earned a living doing it. I love it. So w- when we got to know each other, even online prior to new media expo in 2014, uh, you're doing a lot of design work. Um, you're selling design courses. Uh, I have your book authority that's on my bookshelf. Uh, yep. you, you wrote about writing and, um, uh, publishing a book. Uh, so you, you were in the slash service businesses plus product businesses, right? And you're basically, you're a creator of the, the who you serve right now with ConvertKit, right? Um, making the jump and I'm speaking out of my own experience, making the jump from selling products and even services, coaches, coaching or courses to SaaS to selling a software. Okay, is a bigger jump than people think. It's a different beast altogether. Uh, mm-hmm. Mostly, and I'm maybe kind of um, getting ahead of my skis here, but mostly because it's a type of business that you just can't do on your own. You have to rely on other people yeah. and a team to make it happen. Versus, as a creator, you can run a seven-figure business selling courses, selling your books, selling your content, and beyond. Um, and be in total control. Right. 
there was a point where you decided to go all in on ConvertKit, probably around the time that we were we met in, in New Media Expo. Um, what was the trigger for you to say, you know what, I'm going to put aside all the things that have made me money. And I remember at the time you were saying making something like $300,000 a year, not, you know, a few cents, right? That's, that's a good income, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say no to that money and I'm going to go all in on software, make the scary jump. Like what was a trigger for you to say, this is the bet I want to take? Yeah, it was interesting because I was doing the digital products they'd taken off and done really, really well. And I mean, I, I was a very prolific content creator at the time. I was writing a thousand words a day. I mm. had done that for 600 days in a row. Um, I wrote, uh, three books in that time period and like self-published a ton of content. And so that worked really, really well. Um, and then I was trying to start ConvertKit. I was I, like, I wanted an email platform that was built for creators. Cause I w became obsessed with email marketing, but then I was trying to hack MailChimp to like do all these best practices and it was just a pain. So I was like, okay, we need something built for this. And I, I think I was very attached to this idea that, you know, if you build something and you target the right market, like it's just going to take off. And that is not at all what happened with ConvertKit. Like it got some initial traction and then it totally stalled out. And I think what you're pointing to of like software is just very different from like, if you buy an ebook from me, I might answer some questions about it. You know, I might occasionally, yes. you know, I might like that one customer in Germany, I might make him a customer seat because the one that he gets automatically isn't good enough for his account. You know, there's yeah. like yeah. some support, but it's, it's not. The onus is on them. Yeah. Yeah. The so And software is just entirely different and you have to compete for that. Backing up. Everyone talks about how recurring revenue is incredible and it is. It's, uh, incredibly hard <laughs> it's incredibly hard incredibly incredibly powerful right yeah like i don't know if it's warren buffett or charlie munger or i don't know we could probably attribute all quotes to einstein or abraham lincoln or something you know about like compound interest being one of the most powerful forces on earth recurring revenue like is an amplifier on all of your efforts and so it's it's so powerful what it does um, and you get this compound growth on top of recurring revenue and you can build some of those valuable companies in the world with that, but it's like any form of leverage. It cuts both ways. Mm -hmm. And so with recurring revenue, you're fighting to earn that customer's business every single month. And then if you're doing it in a competitive market, which email marketing is an absurdly competitive market, like there's so many companies out there in this space, less so in the creator niche that we focused on, but, mm -hmm. um, it was just so hard to get it off the ground. And so what happened is I ended up finding myself in this place where I built a company to 2000 a month in recurring revenue, um, burned through the money that I was planning to spend on it. And then like it gradually declined from there. And being at about 1300 a month in revenue is no longer covering its server costs. And I had a friend of mine uh, named Heaton Shaw who actually just kind of pulled me aside and said like, look, man, this isn't working. You, you've been successful with the eBooks. There's other things that you can do. Like stop trying to like grind it out on this, try something different. And I remember being really discouraged by that. And he, because like, that's not something you say to a friend. And he just let me sit with that for like just a minute and feel it. And they said like, or 
you can take it seriously. Stop treating this like a side project, you know, go all in on it, give it the time, money and attention it deserves, like build this into a real business. Mm. But like what you're doing now is not working. So shut it down or double down. Wow. And he can bring on I mean, the heat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and that, that was like, that was such an impactful moment because he was right. Like I was working on it part-time. I was doing the books and, and courses. I was making good money there. You know, I had this like build it and they will come approach to, um, you know, convert it. And like, it wasn't working. No one wants to like convert it to software that powers your business. You know, like, you know who I want to do that? Like the guy who's doing it as a side hustle, let me have him, like, let's use his software to power my business. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, no, not a chance. Yeah. And so what ended up happening is I decided to double down on ConvertKit. And I, I took all of our savings from the ebook uh, business and poured that into, into building ConvertKit. I hired an actual team, not just contractors, but like full-time employees. And I focused in on a niche. So we started doing direct sales. You know, we decided this is going to be email marketing for professional bloggers instead of like serving like all customers that would come in. Yeah. And then, and then with the direct sales, like started to try to close accounts one by one. Um, and within two months, we got from 1300 to 2000 a month in revenue. Um, that year it would have been 20, 2015, um, went from 2000 to a hundred thousand a month in revenue. And the next year was a hundred thousand to 500,000. So it, it like took off, but it required like, it was two years of grinding it out and then, um, you know, getting that overnight success after. So, so you built a team and I'm, obviously you're, you're building a small team at the start, you know, just to, just to cover the major bases. Um, when you say grind it out, walk me through what were the things you did every day or you has had a post a note about on your screen that you needed mm-hmm. to focus on? To get to a hundred million AR, sorry, a hundred thousand ARR to a million ARR. What are those stages like? Because what you do changes as you grow the company and what your yeah. responsibilities are. So, what are some of the things that were like top priorities? Like, I need to do this, or there's no business. Yeah. Well, the first thing that the like the first turning point was hiring someone to run the product and engineering side because being a, a coder myself, I was heavily involved in that. And so once I hired someone for that side of it, I I could afford to spend my time elsewhere. And so that immediately like doubled my leverage. And I remember being in all these conversations because I think people talked about that. And I don't know if that's still the case now is like being a solopreneur. Like that was the trendy thing. How mm-hmm. big of a business can I build without any full-time employees? You know, I never want to have to lay people off. I don't want to have to answer to anybody. I don't want to be responsible for anyone else. Meetings. Like, meetings. Exactly. Ugh. Screw me, you know? Um, yeah. And so it was this big leap where I was like, oh, I'm building with contractors. You know, I don't need any of that. And the thing that unlocked all of this is basically cloning myself and hiring someone actually who is better at product and engineering than I was. Um, and then, so like that was absolutely crucial. And then the second thing from there was pivoting from trying to make sales through content. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wanted to only sell through like scalable ways. Mm. Um, and I was used to content marketing, right. you know, like 
let me talk about something on a podcast. Let me write a blog post. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't do one-to-one sales. I want to sell in bulk, but like, if you don't have momentum, it's, it is not a good way to sell. And so I ended up switching and saying the whole approach was one-to-one sales. Like how do I get on a call with people, find out what's frustrating them about email, see if we can solve it with ConvertKit and then do the migration for them for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it ended up being this work that was like $3 an hour, $5 an hour, yeah. you know, like I, I distinctly remember having two large monitors in front of me, putting Netflix on one of them and then opening up people's accounts, you know, like a new customer's account yeah. and like copying and pasting from MailChimp to ConvertKit. Like, you know, they have yeah. a 30, 30 email automation. We'd switch it all over and then they'd be paying us $50 a month. And like, the payback period on that was so long, you know, or the hourly rate or whatever. But I realized that every account that we got made the next one just the tiniest bit easier. Okay. Right. Cause we'd be like, Oh, I heard that this person's using ConvertKit mm. or like you started to build, build momentum. And so everyone was talking about like, Oh, only grow in a scalable way. And, you know, later I ended up hearing like Paul Graham talk about do things that don't scale. Mm-hmm. And that put it in, I mean, I was living it out before he wrote that essay, but like that phrased it in a way. Wow. Um, Cause the other thing is all these things that, that don't scale, you can take and make them scalable, whether it's through, you know, if we're like, if I'm doing a one-to-one demo, right. That's not scalable, right. That is using my time. But you know, a year later I was teaching a workshop, you know, a webinar, to a hundred people, right? right? I'm getting, I don't know if it's quite a hundred times the leverage because it's not quite as personalized, yeah, but pretty yeah. close, yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Um, and you've nailed everything. Now you know the demo perfectly because you've done it so many times one-on-one. Uh, you're yeah, you you're better as a presenter, all that stuff. Yeah, you know what well, the hotspots are. Like these little lines, right? Like um, I was at a food blogging conference uh, just this last week. You know, we had a booth there and we're talking to a bunch of creators. And just as you test these things, right. I had this line where I talked about like, I don't have time Mm. to run, you know, to run everything. Like time is the most limiting thing that I have in my business, in my business in life. You know, I'm running a full-time business. I've got the side hustle as a creator. I've got three kids, you know, I like Mm. all of this. And so then I talk about like, I really rely on automations. Right. And you could see someone's eyes light up when I was basically describing their life. They're like, I don't have time either. You know, and I could have let in with like, here's why automations are important, you know, but yes. like you context, learn these, yeah. yeah, you learn these, these lines or this positioning that resonates right. in the unscalable conversations. Right. And then when you do that in a webinar, like you can't see someone else's reaction. You might get a, a sound off in the chat or something else, but, um, but you're totally right. You, and, and I'm going to drill in a little bit more into this yeah. because um, you learn a lot about the language people use, like you mentioned. So uh, you can use it in your marketing, on your sales pages. Uh, even uh, if people prefer to hear uh, 20% off or two free months, whatever, like all that kind of language, you're kind of monitoring while you're doing these one-on-one calls and these demos and these sales calls. So you're doing these, these calls. You're literally just shooting for them to sign up for a monthly plan, not even annual. You're just like, get them on board. I need a customer, right? Yep. Do you have a target? Like, are you saying like, I got one customer a day? Are you trying to get 10 a day? Or like, how do you, how do you know? Is it what's enough? 
Just as many as I could. I, th- I think I had a target for how many outreach emails I would send. Okay. And that would um, be like the baseline. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I had re- heard this Mixergy talk um, from someone who was talking about in direct sales. You have to pay attention to what you can control because you mm. actually can't control the outcome. And if you set your goals around the outcome, that can be really discouraging. Right. Especially before your system gets moving. Right. If we're doing direct sales, I might reach out to 50 people and make no sales, but one of those 50 people, I might actually close six months from now, you know, or like you just, you can't control that, that timeline. Mm -hmm. So remember uh, in this um, interview, someone was talking about how in their sales process, they had two cups on their desk and one cup was empty and the other had 50 paper clips in it or a hundred paper clips in it. And they, every day they would do cold outreach you know, like personalize an email as much as they like research, personalize email, send it off and move a paperclip. And they, cause they, they knew the thing that they could control. They, they couldn't control how many deals they closed, but they could control how many people they reached out to. And so they would do that part every day. And of course they, they work to refine their pitch and, mm. you know, like keep getting better, but really emphasize what you can, can control. And so I, I don't remember the numbers, but I had some goal around that. It definitely wasn't a hundred a day. It was probably yeah. like 20. <laughs> Um, but that's great information to, and a good barometer, like, Hey, focus on what you can control. As long as you're reaching out to people, you know, soon enough, they will convert, but they'll never convert if you don't reach out to anybody. Right. Right. So that's, that's a great little insight. ConvertKit is in my opinion, probably one of the best SaaS success stories I've seen in the market period, just because of the way you built it the steady growth you've had, uh, from my understanding, it, it's, uh, been self-funded, correct? Yep. Right. 100%. It's been self-funded from day one. You are now doing something close to 34. You, you publish your numbers publicly on bare metrics, 34 million ARR, uh, for a self-funded software company, which is really unheard of. Like no one ever sees a company other than base camp when they started, when the computer was invented. Right. You know, like no one ever <laughs> yeah. hears about this because most companies get funding, they get investors, they go VC route, or they exit way before they get to this point. Um, was this always your goal or were you always, were you trying to say, Hey, I'm going to get to a point and I'm going to sell it. Or I have other ambitions. I want to take this company uh, to a certain point. Uh, or is this a lifestyle business for you? Is this like, I just want to build this business to fund my building tiny homes and, and, uh, you know, Airbnbs or whatever it is you do. So like, um, I want to understand, like, did you have a vision for this and what is it now? Right. Yeah. Um, early on the vision was to build a product that had a recurring revenue because, you know, I felt like I'd gotten pretty good at, at information products and like the, the launch driven businesses. Right. Um, but you'd see a business, right? You, you, you might do a product launch and make 25,000 or 50,000 mm-hmm. in a month and then 5,000 the next month. And it has amazing leverage, but like, I didn't want to hire employees based off of a peak month and then be mm-hmm. worried if the next launch doesn't go well. I thought if I could get to $20,000 a month in recurring revenue, um, that would be incredible. Now, Actually, the first goal was legitimately five thousand a month in recurring revenue because my wife and I were talking about opening a coffee shop at the time, and I thought that the best thing to open a coffee shop 
because I knew it was a terrible business, um, would be if our living expenses were totally covered. And so living in Boise, Idaho in 2013, if we had $5,000 a month in recurring revenue, like we'd be fine, you know? Um, so that, that's specifically why that was the first goal. But then as it got bigger, it's like, okay, can we get this to 20,000, maybe 30,000? I remember hearing about someone who's doing, a, had a SaaS business, um, actually Amy Hoy, um, hmm. who is doing a business with 50,000 a month in recurring revenue. And I was just like, I remember that. That I'm is like, so much money. And she always talked about how it came from a whole range of customers, right? I know. Um, and so I she's- I could uh, buy a Mercedes every single month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like all of these things. I mean, because the other thing with recurring revenue is it's replenishing every yes. month, right? Like you don't start at zero on March 1st. Uh, and so that's amazing. So I had those targets and it gradually got bigger. I was just looking, I gave a, a like taught a workshop a little earlier today. And so I was going through- like a bunch of old decks and stuff, other workshops that I taught. And I found one where I was talking about ConvertKit and I hit $5 million a year in revenue. It was just interesting because like ConvertKit's seven times bigger than that yeah. now, basically. Um, and I was like, I didn't feel like that long ago that I taught that workshop, but apparently it was a while ago. Mm -hmm. Around that point, I realized that we were building something that could be way bigger. And that's when we started to establish like a mission for the company beyond, I don't know, build something sustainable. Mm. Uh, and we ended up making um, the mission for the company just saying we exist to help creators earn a living. And there's actually a little plaque. That's what yeah. that little plaque behind me says. Um, and uh, the reason for that, like I grew up in an environment, you know, we talked about a lot of the, the great things about it, but a lot of downsides is that money was super scarce. Like I watched my parents fight about money. Like they ended mm -hmm. up, um, you know, they're causing a huge amount of conflict, uh, making a lot of us kids feel like a burden on them for what, what we cost. And, and, uh, yeah, I've um, been there. Yeah. You, I, I think you know that that world yeah. very well. Yeah. And like, there's a point where as an entrepreneur, like that you and I have both learned where making money is a skill. And you just want to like preach that from the rooftops. Like, did you know, this is not just chance and luck. Like you can learn a set of skills and you can build an audience. And then that audience can make you more money than as a doctor or whatever yeah. else. And like, and so probably about that point when we were doing 5 million a year for ConvertKit, I realized that I was going to hit every one of my financial goals. Like we were set. Mm -hmm. basically forever. Uh, and so then it was saying, okay, what do I want to do with this company? And, and so that's when we established the mission of we exist to help creators earn a living. And we're going to build the tools and training to bring these, these skills of making money on the uh, online with an audience to as many people as possible mm. so that like they don't have money be this point of conflict between them and their spouse. Right. right? Their, huge, their huge kids mission. don't grow up like in that environment of stress and everything else. Yeah. Um, no, there's plenty of other things. That no, but you're, problems. you're totally right. But you know, I, I grew up where I was, I would never ask my parents for money because I knew there was yeah. pressure. I would never ask for lunch money when I didn't want to make lunch or whatever. It was the first day of school. I say to a lot of people like, Hey, it's not that I just, you know, it's all about money, but you know, money, 
will not solve all your problems, but will solve all your money problems, right? Which, <laughs> yeah. which is a lot of your problems. If you think about it, like a lot of people are not healthy because they don't can't afford a trainer. You know, a lot of people are not, right. um, you know, satisfied with, uh, you know, their environment. They want to leave the city they live in, but the cost of living is more expensive in the big cities, whatever it is. But so your mission to help people uh, alleviate themselves from this burden of financial stress, which is one of the worst stresses in the world, because we've all experienced it at some level. Yeah, I want to say all, but I know you and I have growing up or even in our businesses, sometimes we're like, am I going to be able to, especially in those early days in ConvertKit, pay my server costs? Am I able to do all this stuff? You know, and that's like the worst stress in the world. So I think it's one of the best gifts you can give the world is to give them the tools to never have to worry about that stress, which is huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, and so that's what we've been been building. And and we also just changed our ambition, right? For the company. Cause I realized like, wait, if we can build this to five million a year in revenue and we believe in our product, then hmm. um let's build it bigger. And so that's when I set a goal of building it to a hundred million a year in revenue. Yeah. Um not because like I'm going to achieve self-actualization when like it tips over, you know, from 99 to hundred or something. You never like that. know. You never know. Nathan. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it could absolutely happen. Um, but basically thinking like, if we really believe in our product and what we're offering, then like, absolutely. And let's find out what we're, what we're capable of. Right. Because I don't know. I'm the kind of person that, you know, if you have a goal, uh, yeah, I don't know, like uh, I've been working on uh, getting better at running, you know? And so like, if you can run a, a 5k at seven minute miles, I'm like, yeah, can I, can I beat that? You know, can I do 650? Can I, you know, like any of those things. Right. Um, and so it's the same thing of like, look, other people can build businesses this big. Why not? Why not me? And so that's been the ambition. And now what we're building is trying to make a platform that's uniquely great at helping creators earn a living. And so mm. like all the ways possible, you know, we built uh, like the ability to sell digital products. Yep. We've built integrations with absolutely everyone possible, all of that of like, how can we make it so that we have the best place on the internet for you to earn a living as a creator. And that that's basically the North star now. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. I'm going to ask you a very earnest question. Um, how, how much of the journey has been pull, pushing the boulder up the hill and how much of the journey has been pushing it down a hill? Like at some point, did you mm. feel like, okay, this is actually not as hard as it used to be. And now it's getting easier and easier to hit my goals or has it been hard the whole way or easy the whole way? Yeah, it has not been uh, even. So hard or easy the whole way. There was definitely a point, maybe about 25 to 30 people in the company who had been with us for, so not hitting that headcount, but like 25 to 30 people that had been with us maybe for at least six months. Um, so people had a little bit of, of tenure with us where most problems that came up, there was someone else who was the front line for it. Like I stopped bringing my laptop everywhere I went because, you know, there were three other engineers who were more qualified to bring the app back up or make sure mm. that something bad didn't happen than I was, right? Like that was a very important moment. And for us, it happened about that. We, we scaled very quickly from 15 to 30 people. Um, so it was somewhere in there um, that that happened. Actually from three to 30 people was like a, I don't know, a nine month wow. um, uh, ramp up. I guess a year, probably a year. Um, 
So that, that made a big difference. The other thing, company growth, people think of it as being like linear or exponential, like a hockey stick. I actually think that most companies, if you really look closely are, they're all S curves. Mm-hmm. They start flat, they hit an inflection point and they take off and then they level off again. And that level off might be still a little bit of growth. Um, but usually so what worked before stopped working. Yeah. Or they I actually think what a lot of companies do is they find something that works and it takes off. And in their excitement to find the next thing that works, they stop doing the thing that was currently working. Yeah. Um, but off the gas. I, I may or may not be guilty of that one. Um, (laughs) But uh, so if you look at like this collection of stacked S-curves, then as you're figuring out how how to get through this, um, the flat spot and into the next inflection point, like a lot of those things are really hard or you have to invent something new. Like uh, we've probably reinvented ConvertKit a few times. We're actually in the process of reinventing the company right now uh, as we've like planted seeds from things that are really taking off mm-hmm. um, and and changed the business. So the feeling that you don't want, and this comes at times, is when you're working really hard and not getting any results. Yep. And I've definitely had seasons of that. Right now, we're in a season of working really hard and getting great results. And I guess maybe the ultimate goal is to not have to work that hard and get great results. And that can happen too. And I think there's also a stage in the company that I'm at that I'm trying to navigate of really separating myself um, from the business so that people can make you know more and more decisions without me, like so that I'm not a bottleneck. Um, and so that's that's a lot to figure out uh, as well. So yeah, it's it has been unevenly challenging. Yeah. Um, but like I feel us. I, I can see in the numbers and everything else, this, like the next phase of this, like inflection point starting to take off that, you know, we're definitely kicking off the next S curve and, uh, that makes it really fun. Yeah. Especially when you're working on new things in the product and, and you know that that's what people need and what they've been asking for or where the market's heading. Uh, I think, uh, I could definitely resonate with that. And you start to realize, oh, wow. Like I, I can see the future. <laughs> no, but, yeah. no, but also I can, I can, um, I've known these people for so long, my, the people I'm serving, I understand where their needs are. And uh, it's just a matter of how quickly I can, I can offer that. One of the things I want to say to you, Nathan, because I would say I'm a latecomer to ConvertKit. We joined ConvertKit at Webinar Ninja four years ago, the $100 MBA. We just joined maybe a year ago, moved our list over there. Um, but I remember you you pitched me convert at the time and obviously at the time I was just like oh I can't move my email list I think it was with active campaign and I was just like basically um uh hiding from you and <laughs> and then yeah. and then I was like let me give it a look cuz I wasn't happy with what I was using at the time and I realized how much innovation you guys made since I last looked and it was maybe like 18 months, two years, something like that. And ever since I've been with you guys, there's so much um, innovation happening inside the app. Some of the stuff I use, some of those I don't need. But um, what I love about it is nothing is half-baked. I I, right. you know, I run a SaaS company. I Their company is run on like a stack of like, I don't know, 40 different apps, right? And 
I would say half of them are, are guilty of having like half of their features. They don't really do what they're promising. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that you do really well with ConvertKit is that you just do what really matters. Like I always say when people ask me why do you use ConvertKit, it's like, well, it just does what I wanted to do really well. And it doesn't do anything I don't need. Um, and it's not confusing and it's easy kind of to navigate, which is important because if you have a team, it's not, I'm not only using it. Everybody else is using it. I need to make sure they know how to use it and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I, I just wanted to take a moment to say that, uh, I know that that was deliberate and I think that's a great way to build a product, which is like, we're going to put out important features that really matter and we're going to do it well. Um, even if it takes us a little bit longer, you know, even if we don't launch a new feature every month, some people think they have to launch a new feature every month or something like that in, in their product. But, um, just to piggyback off that comment, I want to ask you, like, um, as your team grows and your velocity can go faster, um, are you conscious of the fact that, hey, I don't want to push out too many things uh, that are maybe not as polished as it used to be? Yeah, there's an idea from uh, a guy named Ryan Singer. Yeah, who was Ryan the Singer. designer for Basecamp. Yeah. Um, and he talks about a product footprint and being very deliberate about like understanding which features increase the footprint of your product versus which ones like go taller or deeper, you know, whatever, like go vertical versus horizontal. And I think a lot of companies are really eager to check off more boxes in the feature comparison against mm-hmm. competitors. And so they're just going horizontal as fast as possible. They're like, how do we become the all in one, you know, let's, let's add in, uh, yeah, HubSpot, uh, you know, I think from going back to the early days, like I think Infusionsoft was, yeah, that um, was, that uh, was the HubSpot of our day. Everybody's like, uh, I got an Infusionsoft account and it does everything. It's like, oh yeah. And then you're like, okay, try to use it, (laughs) (laughs) you know, cause like they went horizontal as much as possible in order to check all of these boxes. And then you end up doing, you know, you don't do anything very well. And I think companies do the math and say like, oh, we can do this because they're basing it off of how much time it takes to build the feature. But what's what you actually have to keep in mind is how much time it takes to maintain the feature. And I don't know about, you know, yes. you know this very yes. well. The more, you add, the more bugs, the more issues, the more complications, the more UI changes they got to make because they don't get it like this. Yep. Yeah. And then there's also actually, there was a talk, um, oh, who was it? I think it was uh, maybe one of the founders of Stripe talking to one of the founders of Intercom. And they were talking about at some point you can build at their scale, right? You know, hundreds and hundreds of engineers and all that. You can build software faster, build features faster than your customer base can even comprehend to implement them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's fascinating. Um, and so it's just like, there's a lot of constraints that you don't think about. And we were always very, very deliberate about increasing product footprint. So like people for a long time would ask like, oh, are you going to uh, process payments? It's like, nope, nope, not going to do it. Cause it's a huge, like the moment yes. you increase product footprint there, it's a huge change. And, and so we waited until we were certain that we could yeah. like go, you know, if we're going to add all of that, can we go more than an inch deep? Can we actually build that? part of the product to its full height. So it, you know, I imagine like a, um, like a neighborhood or something, you know, and you've got your features that are these fully built out houses. And then some of them are like 
yeah, you did something there, but it's like a treehouse. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like it's a toilet. Yeah, yeah. You didn't actually go build something substantial, and so like waiting to do something until I, you know that you can really invest in it and and build that up, and and so that's what we did with convert commerce, and you know now you can do paid newsletters and sell digital products and everything else. Um, so I I think that's that's so important to like only building what you can build well, and then most importantly what you can maintain. I love it. It's awesome stuff. Nathan, I've taken so much of your time. <laughs> we reached the top of the hour, but uh, I want to wrap up um, with with a, uh, a question because I know that you do a lot of different things outside of ConvertKit. Like you share on Twitter, uh, you know, you have uh, some investments in with your real estate and Airbnb. Mm-hmm. You led your work wood- woodworking. I followed your journey when you built this tiny home that you're in right now. Are you ever worried that you're going to want to build, I'm not worried, maybe the words are the word, maybe you have ambitions to build the next ConvertKit, another business as big as this, or are you a kind of person's like, I got a line in a bottle. I don't know if I could do this again. I'm just going to stick with what I got. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I don't like the early stage of building a business, especially like a SaaS business where uh, I know you know this well, where you're like about to close a customer and then they're like, oh, do you have an integration with whatever? Mm. And you're like, no. And they're like, well, MailChimp has integrated. And you're like, yes, MailChimp's been around for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> like they've had, you know, those early days where you just hit these I'll obstacles. zap it for you, okay? I'll put it, <laughs> yeah. I'll make a Zapier integration for you. Um, the number <laughs> of times they're like, yeah, exactly. I'll pay for your Zapier account, whatever it is. Uh, that early momentum is really hard. And yes. I, I really like the scale that we have now of like, if we build something then like 45,000 people can use it right mm. away. And that that's amazing. Um, uh, Dan Martell has a, a new book that, he, that just came out called buy back your time. It's really good. Um, but he talks about how the biggest risk to your business is not competitors it's not that your product goes stale or any of these things. It's that you lose interest or burn out as a founder. And so I think a lot about what are the things that keep me excited and keep me interested as a founder. Uh, my friend, Sean Blanc has this saying, he says, if you work with your mind, you should rest with your hands. And so there's a lot of that, that you see me doing. I live on a farm. We have nine acres. We have chickens and pigs and goats and, uh, I have a wood shop and, um, you know, I, I'm really doing things like if I have an idea or something separate from ConvertKit, I'll, I'll play with that because I think it helps to give me a break and some space from like grinding it out in my core business the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I used to feel, I used to feel guilty about that. Cause like I have really big ambitions for ConvertKit and I'm trying to scale this as much as possible. And I have this 70 person team that I'm like, everybody's working super hard and I want to be right there at the front, you know, and everything else. And I think when Dan phrased it this way of like, look, you burning out or you losing interest is the single biggest risk to these people losing the job they love or this product that, you know, like you deciding to sell it off. And then some PE firm being like, Oh, you know, I think we'll take a different, different direction or whatever. And customers losing, you know, losing something they care about. That just made me think like, okay, I've got to, I've got to be really deliberate about protecting my energy and excitement and motivation. And so that both means taking some time away from the business. Um, and then also like making time to pursue the things inside of ConvertKit that I find are like really exciting. 
And so I'll do things like I'll, I'll hire a couple of people and carve out an idea and you know, that I just want to know, can it work? Mm. Um, so I think that's a lot of what we're doing. Like inside of ConvertKit, we've got, um, two different businesses or two different, I don't know if they're features or businesses or what, um, one is a sponsorship network. Yeah. And so we're, we're, we're toying with this idea and we actually just passed a million dollars in sponsorships that we've sold for creators. Um, you know, it goes back to like paying creators, uh, like, can we spin that up? And so we got a team, we're, we're trying it out. It's still, it's still early. Um, but you see all the signs of it working and we're looking for what are the ways where this community of creators on ConvertKit can benefit each other. Mm -hmm. So we can sell sponsorships across like 15 or 20 creators with uh, much more easily than they could sell a single sponsorship by themselves. Right. And then the other thing that we're launching is something that we call the creator network, uh, creatornetwork.com. Um, and that is a way for creators to recommend each other. Like going back to the experience that, you know, you and I had at, uh, in Las Vegas, you know, at those early conferences, right? Like that, that early network matters so much. So much. And so like, how can we productize that? How can we build it into the feature set so that when someone joins my list, I'm like, you know, recommending like, uh, I don't know. I think about like Justin Jackson, who was in the community yeah. early on. Right. Like if we're talking about these, we're, we're building newsletters on similar topics. That's the wrong answer, Nathan. Things. You recommend me. Okay. Justin can find his own subscribers. No, just kidding. <laughs> Poor Justin. That's exactly. <laughs> um, but like that whole, you know, like if we can partner together and grow faster, yes, that's what I'm excited about. I and love so basically about how can we build network effects into uh, this business and help creators grow. I want, I want to share something. I hope you're okay with this, but yeah, I want to share something that for our listeners, Nathan runs a $34 million SaaS business. When he launched this idea for the creator, uh, sponsorship network. Okay. He yep. did not say, I'm going to dump $50 million or whatever, or that's a bad number, but like, let's say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dump $500,000, build an interface, uh, make sure it works, make sure that the network is like all yep. automated, da, 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 da. I actually reach out because I'm a big believer in sponsoring newsletters. That's how we grow the show. We sponsor all these different creators that you have in the network. And I reached out to your team and I'm I, I, I saw what you did. Basically, you just like, it was over email. These guys are like, mm -hmm. hey, get go, go on a call. Tell us about what you're trying to uh, sponsor. What kind of creators you're looking for. They emailed me back a bunch of sponsors that uh, that would be, or a bunch of uh, creators that I could sponsor. These are the creators and this is what they're all about. And this is their open rates. And this is, I was just like, I'm doing this over email. I'm like, this guy knows how to MVP, right? Yeah. Because- a lot of us, we think, oh, no one's going to buy something like that. No. At the end of the day, if it fulfills my needs, if I get the right sponsors, I get good value. If I get the right creators that I could sponsor and I get, you know, I get uh, the conversions I'm looking for to grow my show, I'm happy. It doesn't matter if there's a UI. In fact, it's more white glove. I get to have a conversation with somebody on this team. I get to learn about the creators. I get to understand what are my chances of them opening the emails. And uh, for me, I, I wanted to pass on this lesson on the show because uh, you have full ability to throw money at this problem. You have full ability right. to say, here we go, let's throw some money, but you're you're fiscally responsible, even though you're making a lot of money, you're saying, hey, before I start 
creating an interface and creating a UI and creating a little tab menu inside of everybody's account so they can start doing this. I'm going to first just MVP this, get to see if people can do this quote unquote off platform, right? Do it on on email, get the ball rolling, get a proof of concept where you have a million dollars made for your creators. Now, okay, let's take that million bucks or the profits we made from that and help help build out an interface. And I just got to say, um, even what is it? Eight, nine years later, you're still MVPing your new features, which is amazing. I love that. Yeah. Cause you can launch all these things and, you know, I think people think about it as I might be right or might, I might not on this first version, you know, like, did I build the right thing? Let's say I'm 90% confident that I built the right thing and, uh, you know, and we'll iterate from there. I'm like 90% confident that the first version will be wrong. <laughs> and so I am like, I don't know. Uh, we have this idea and I'm like, great, let's, let's try it out. Let's see what works. Yeah. There's so many things that we thought, Oh, it's going to be this way. Didn't end up being that way, you okay. know, but as you build, you like iterate over time, then uh, you learn so much and you have all these conversations. And I think that, you can both you can fall into this trap on both ends of the spectrum. When you're just getting started, you can go away and build and then try to come to the market and be like, look, look what I have. And everyone's like, oh, that's nice. I don't care. You know, and move on. Yeah. Or once you have a certain level of success and you can throw money at a problem, then you can pay people to go away and build something and come back. And the market's like, what's that? Oh, yeah, no, we still don't care. And so you have to get in there in conversations with customers and see, like, is this a, a viable product? Yeah. And then if it is, then build it. <laughs> yeah. and, and one of the things I learned in my journey of the last eight years of Webinar Ninja is in the beginning, I thought, oh, I'm like the ultimate user. I know exactly what people want because I'm like, I built this for myself, blah, blah, blah. That becomes a whole lot less true as the years go by. I'm the worst person to ask what is good for our users because I don't need anything explained. I know exactly what I want. I know exactly how to use it. You know, like... And I realized, oh, when we were doing our product meetings and we're doing like the first thing I have to say to everybody is like, where's the data to prove this? Do we have we done interviews? Have we gathered information from our intercom to find out what people are requesting? Uh, this sounds amazing, but let's first poll somebody on our next webinar if they want to see this in our software. Like because and I have to resist the urge of saying, man, that's brilliant. I want to see that in the real world because um, I'm the worst person to ask now because I'm way beyond. It's like you're asking somebody, uh, you know, who uh, is a woodworker or or a shoemaker, you know, like, um, you know, what do you want to see in a shoe? Like they, they've seen every shoe in the world. They know exactly what they want. And it's, it's going to be way out there. It's going to be like so fashion forward. But like, that's not a shoe. That's like a mini car or something like that. Whatever the point is, is that that. You know, like we are just the wrong people to ask at this point. Have you, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I try to use ConvertKit as much as possible myself. So I notice the things in real time and like can mm. smooth out all those rounded corners. But Definitely you just that, have to, yeah. you also have to spend so much time talking to customers because people use it in ways that I didn't expect or like the market changes, like what works in webinars, what works in email and all of that yeah. is just different than what worked eight years ago. Totally. And 
otherwise we'll be stuck like preaching the same systems and the, the like same techniques and then building the same features for those techniques and like the market will leave us behind. So yeah, talking to customers. That's why I love conferences. This whole thing is like an ad for go to conferences and meet people yeah. <laughs> in real yeah. life now because restrictions it matters yeah. so much. <laughs> totally. Totally. And the network is so true. And throughout this conversation, we talked about how many of those people helped you along the way no one does it alone, whether it's that chat with Hinton Shaw, like you had to get to know this guy in order for you to have that chat, all that kind of stuff. So Nathan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I love this chat. As we continue the episode, guys, I'll talk a little bit more about what ConvertKit's all about, how you can get started for free. Uh, if you want to learn more about Nathan's journey, and I highly recommend following him on Twitter because he's super, super open book about the finances of his business, the struggles he's going through. Um, and one of the things I love about him is that he's not afraid to say my product's better than my competitors. And he'll pin himself <laughs> against competitors yeah. and say, hey, uh, why are you going with these guys when we're better? And um, uh, that tells me that that's somebody who believes in their company and uh, is uh, is putting their mouth where their, where their money is. <laughs> thanks so much, Nathan. It was awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. If I were going to give an alternative title to today's episode, it would be Sic Parvis Magna. And that's Latin for greatness from humble beginnings or small beginnings. Nathan didn't start out with a lot, but he was determined. He was resourceful. And being a friend of Nathan's, he's always been an inspiration to me because of that. I could relate to that. I didn't grow up with a silver spoon either. And he was proof that you could do it. You can break through and have huge successes regardless of where you started. So I'm here to tell you if you didn't go to an Ivy League school or have rich parents or whatever it might be, don't see it as a disadvantage. See it as motivation. Also, if you didn't grow up with much, you're a really resourceful person. You know how to make a lot from a little. You know how to make the most out of what you have. In fact, till this day, one of the metrics that Nathan evaluates his success in his business is how much the business earns per employee or per team member. Meaning, if I can find the best talent, train them, cultivate them, manage them, and get the most out of them, my company will win. I'll make more money per employee than companies that are twice, three times, five times my size. That's beyond being thrifty. That's being smart, being productive, being efficient. And yes, he had bumps along the road. He had difficulties. We couldn't cover everything, but I could tell you, I followed his journey. I know him. It wasn't always explosive growth. Every business has its challenges, even with growth. You know, being able to meet demand is a challenge in itself. They say it's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem you got to solve or you're going to lose out on an opportunity. But one of my favorite takeaways from the conversation is he understands he has to balance his role in the company, in serving the company, leading, staying interested, staying active, while also serving his own needs, his own life, his own family, his own ambitions. Because when you suffer, when you're not doing well inside, when you're not feeling your best self, if you're not enjoying your life, you best believe that's going to affect the business. It's going to affect what you're doing, affect your team. A few times in my career, I learned that the hard way. But this was a great reminder to take care of yourself along the journey. You can't be a sacrificial lamb. You got to make sure that you feed the business, feed yourself, feed the people around you. When I talk about feed, I'm not talking about money and food. I'm talking about even just energy, positivity, happiness, being delighted with what you do. Be mindful of this because it could cost your business. 
Thanks so much for listening to The $100 MBA Show. I hope you loved today's episode. Go ahead and share it if you did. Go over on to your favorite social platform and send them over to 100mba.net. Let them know that you just listened to the Nathan Berry episode and tell them what you think. Before I go, I want to leave you with this. No one builds a business alone. Not only does it take a team, it takes a network, right? You heard Nathan and I chat about that conference we went to and how all the people that are at that conference, we still support each other. We helped each other. We were each other's biggest fans, but we also helped each other out when we had difficulties or challenges. I mean, even recently, a few months ago, I had a big question when it came to email. I reached out to Nathan. He basically gave me his team at my disposal. So he was just like, here's my team. Here are the people that work on my team. They can help you out directly and advise you how to move forward. I was so grateful, but also conscious of the fact that that's years in the making, building that relationship and taking the time to really value these relationships. And that's just one, right? That's just one situation, one person. Over the last 20 years, I've built countless relationships, not thinking, oh, I can cash in this relationship on a rainy day, but knowing that the journey is just better with other people. It's easier. It's more fun. It's a delightful experience when you're doing it with others. Thanks so much for listening and I'll check you in tomorrow's episode. I'll see you then. Take care.